0: Listen, this is the part of our Sunday gathering where we uh, get together and read the Bible and allow it to speak to our lives, and uh, I'm going to read two bits from the Bible, Uh, first in 2 Samuel 12, uh, and then also, actually, 2 Samuel 11, uh, going into 12, and then also Luke chapter 19. Um, Samuel in the Old Testament, Luke in the New, Uh, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow it there. On your phone or tablet, or I believe nowadays the Bible is also available in paper form. So, like, pick, pick, uh, pick what you'd like and go for it. So, Second Samuel, we're going to start from chapter eleven, and uh, and a bit of a dramatic story. In case you know the story, please bear with me as I read through it all. I want to respect and uh, honour. Uh, anyone who may not know this story, so uh, in case you have heard the story before, uh, please bear with me as, we, as I read through it. And uh, I want to talk today from the subject, a tale of two frauds. A tale of two frauds. A fraud, not a fraud in in the terms of the act of the fraud, although there is an act of a fraud, but in terms of a fraud as as a person who is, is committing the fraud. Um, of someone who deceitfully, wrongfully, legally, immorally uh, steals or takes from other people uh, for his own uh, selfish or greedy gain, a tale of two frauds. So I'm going to start from Second Samuel chapter 11. And uh, starting from verse two, 2, Samuel chapter 11, starting from verse 2. I'm going to read through this quite quickly uh, so because it's a bit of a lengthy story. So I really need you, if possible, in the next few minutes just to lean in, concentrate, focus, and follow the story with me so that we can get through it. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. It says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself and then went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David and said, I'm pregnant. Okay, so I'm going to read the rest of it as well. But let me just pause and tell you what just happened. David is a king of a country. He looks out and sees a naked woman taking bath, really likes her, goes and gets her, finds out who she is. She's a married woman. They come, uh, she, the, the king brings her to his own house. He sleeps with her and she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. So the next few verses, what we're gonna read is a story of how David is trying to get her husband who's actually not at home. Her husband's actually out on military duty to come back home and get her husband to sleep with her so that everyone can just think the baby belongs to the husband and not to him. So this is what happens. David sends a word to Joab, who is the military commander. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and... How the soldiers were and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. Uriah slept at, but Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his own house. Do you follow what's happening? David was told... David was told, Uriah did not go home. He asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Not because David cared for him. David was just hoping that he'd go home and sleep with his wife so that he can make out that uh, the, the baby was not David's. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in the tents. My master Joab and the Lord's mercy, um, men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants and he did not go home. So it didn't work again. In the morning, David wrote a letter to the commander of the military, Joab, and sent it with Uriah. Now, so plan A didn't work. So this is plan B. Alright, plan A didn't work, this is plan B. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So if I can't get the husband to sleep with the wife, I'm just going to kill the husband. Good plan, eh? You thought EastEnders had drama. Read the Bible for a change. This is good stuff. This will make great television. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle, etc., etc. Now, we're going to jump to uh, verse uh, chapter 12 and starting from verse 1. Or oh, actually, let's go to chapter 11, the last verse in chapter 11, which is verse 27, uh, or 26 and 27. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 26. Okay, read it with me on the screen. Follow. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done and displeased the Lord. What a story, eh? So he sleeps with this woman. Thinks things okay i'm going to get her husband to sleep with him so with her so that everyone knows that it's 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 his baby when that fails he gets the guy killed and after that he has the nerve to ask him to be his wife so they get married and the son is born but the bible says what david had done was displeasing to God. God was not very happy. So God decides to send a prophet. A prophet is a man that God usually sends with a message that God has for his people. And the name of the prophet here is Nathan. So that's what we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12. God sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, watch this story with me very carefully. Lean in please. I know I've already done a lot of reading. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other one was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. And the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. This little lamb was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against that man, this hypothetical man, and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. Everyone say four times. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he had such, he did such a thing and had no pity. Everyone say four times. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel." Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son that is born to you will die. What a story, huh? Uh, I'm going to read again another story. This time from the New Testament, Luke chapter 19. This time, I promise you, it's not that long. And we will get into what? We want to just share this morning. Luke chapter 19, starting from verse 1. Luke chapter 19. It says here, follow with me, please. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he went down at once and gladly welcomed him. And he saw, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And I've, I have cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay back four times The amount. I will pay back four times the amount. Everyone say four times. Four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Pray with me for a moment please. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we are here and we thank you for the gift of life. We are ready to receive your word. Speak to us till we are satisfied by your love and we thank you that in your presence there is no darkness, there is no evil, there is no sickness, there is nothing that is negative because in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. So Lord, I pray that out when we leave from here, we will leave with incredible joy and feeling the pleasure of having been spoken to and ministered by you. We thank you in advance that that is what you are going to do, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I said to you in the beginning that today I wanted to talk to you about the case of two frauds, and fraud is is something that you do when you take something that is illegal and immoral, uh, in an illegal, immoral way from somebody else. And uh, and and as you can see uh, in the first story, when uh, David uh, did it, and it, it's not so much that uh, he committed adultery, which he did, uh, but back in the day when David lived, they were allowed lo- by law to have multiple wives. So it's not that he, he already had a wife and he was looking for another wife. It's that he, he killed a man and stole from him, what was his? And David hears about this, this, this case and says, "Whoever did that needs to pay back four times as much." Because back in the day, if there was any, def- if there was any fraud, if there was any deceit, if there was any cheating, if there was anything that people took that was illegal, the the usual punishment was that whatever you took, you sort of paid back four times as much. And and Nathan the prophet confronts him. And we read another story in Luke chapter nineteen where this is a story of another fraud. And this guy is not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. In other words, he's the fraud of all frauds. In other words, back in the day, I don't have time to explain it. But what it was, was if you were a tax collector, you were a fraud because you had to turn on your own people to collect tax for a government that was actually illegal in that that land at the time. And if you did all of your fraud work really well, then you became the best fraud in the country and you became what was called the chief tax collector. So you got a promotion for being a good fraud. That's how big of a fraud this guy was. And they both get confronted or visited by the Word of God. And I want to talk today about what it looks like for for the Word of God to be received in the Old Covenant and the Word of God to be received in the New Covenant. You see, even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in the New Covenant, under new promises, under a new and a better way of doing things, because this morning when we turned up here at church to worship Jesus, we didn't have to come this morning with goats and bulls and turtle doves and pigeons and come here and offer sacrifices, which is what people had to do once upon a time, if they ever had to talk to God, because without the shedding of blood, there was never forgiveness of sins. But we all came here with none of that today, because today we don't believe that it's the blood of goats and bulls and turtle doves that forgive sins, but once and for all, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, so you and I can come with boldness and approach Him with confidence because we know now that we can approach God's presence because the blood of Jesus has already been shed. Even though that is the reality and that is truth in the New Testament and in the New Covenant, the truth remains that it as a New Covenant, New, uh, New Covenant believer or a New Covenant follower of Jesus under this new pattern of the way we worship, we can still access old covenant thinking. Old covenant thinking, because you see, even though your spirit lives in a new reality that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, forgiven because of the death of Jesus Christ, your mind needs to go through a process where it is catching up with the reality of what God has already completed. It's like watching a football match that's already finished and you've put it on record and you've recorded it and you're watching the match over again. You're not watching it live. Your mind and your brain is just catching up with something that's already finished. And the finished work of Jesus Christ is an amazing work, but we have to spend the rest of our lives allowing our minds to catch up with what God has already finished. And that's why it is possible that even though you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your mind can still access old covenant patterns, old covenant thinking, old covenant feelings, old covenant lifestyles, because your mind has not fully caught up with the reality of everything that Jesus has done for you. And my desire for myself and my desire for you is that I will never live another day in yesterday's revelation, because I want to be constantly in a place where my mind is catching up with everything that Jesus has done for me. So here, I just want to compare a story of two frauds and compare two covenants. What happens? You see, in the first story, the prophet comes to David and says, David, there are two people. One guy was rich and the other guy was poor. The rich man killed the poor man and took the lamb from him and, and that was wrong. And David says, yes, that was wrong. That man deserves to die and he needs to pay back four times as much. Jesus comes in the new covenant to a man who is a a big fraud. In fact, the whole country knows he's a fraud. And rather than telling Zacchaeus everything he's done wrong and the list of all the people he has defrauded, Jesus looks at him and speaks identity and says, man, you are the son of Abraham. Abraham you see in the old covenant in the old covenant when the word of god comes the word of god comes to correct you by exposing your sin in the new covenant the word of god comes to correct you by exposing your identity and so even today you have followers of Jesus Christ spending time with God and say, God, I surrender. Just show me what's wrong with me. All you need to do is just show me what's wrong with me. I really want to be a good Christian. So show me what's wrong with me. Show what? New covenant believers living in old covenant thinking. And guess what? It works. God will show you what it works but you will never live in a place of rest and victory because you are accessing something that is old and something that has been proven for thousands of years that it does not work and so you are shown something that is wrong with you and then you think oh I can't believe I've been a follower of Jesus for so long and I'm still struggling with this area so you go back again God is there anything I know there is something God and even if the Holy Spirit is not talking we feign false humility and say no 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 no, God I know there is something so show me what's wrong with me in the new covenant God corrects you by not by showing you all the things that are wrong with you in the new covenant God corrects you by showing you what is right with you and holding up your identity in front of you and goes to the house of the biggest fraud in the country and says this right here is a son of Abraham the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost and so the finished work of Christ is put up in front of you and guess what Zacchaeus corrects himself. Zacchaeus corrects himself and says, listen, of all the money I've got, I'll give away half my wealth. And if I have defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. Jesus just told him what his identity was. I wonder where you're living today. Are you living in new covenant reality or are you living in old covenant reality? Are your times spent with God asking him to show you everything that's wrong with you? Or are your times with God spent saying, show me what you've done for me. Show me what my identity is. Show me where I stand and what you say over me. And as you begin to live that journey, you'll realize all the things that need correcting get corrected anyway. This table right here at the back is usually the table, one of the tables that we use when we have communion here in church once a month. And when you do that, can I remind you next time, rather than focusing on everything that's wrong with you, focus on the identity Jesus has spoken over you the fact that he has come to seek and save that which was lost, that you are a son of Abraham and the son of Abraham is not talking about what your dad's name is. Son of Abraham is a biblical phrase that says you are a product of the promise of God. You are a product of God's work and not a product of your own effort. You are a product of what God has done and not what you have done. As you meditate on who he is, all the things that you need to sort in your life will be sorted anyway. But if your life is insular and you look towards, you and everything that's wrong with you that's the prophet Nathan's work that's the old covenant work that's the way that life used to work but it doesn't work anymore it doesn't you will spend the rest of your life not living in the fullness of Of everything God has for you. And you will wonder why you have been a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ for so many years. And yet miss out on the reality of prosperity and healing and peace and joy and anointing and strength that is yours. Why? Because your focus is all about you. And what's wrong with you? Because you see, life is such that you will become like what you behold. And if all you're beholding is you and your surrender and what you're like, and what needs to change. Whatever you behold, you become. But the new covenant says all of us with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God. And as we behold that, we get transformed from one degree of glory to another. What are you beholding today? What you're looking at? Because whatever you're looking at is what you're becoming like. Today the word of God comes Not to expose your sin, but to expose your identity. And that identity will make all the correction that is ever needed. And that is why nobody in this church should ever look at a visitor, a first time comer to this church, somebody who is struggling as a Christian and look at them and say, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. This and this and this and this is wrong in your life. And what is that? And That's what you need to fix. You may be saying the right thing, but you are not operating in the spirit of this church. That, play, that has no place in this church. It has no place in this church. First of all, God did not make you a moral police. He did not give you a license to be a theological police. And the Holy Spirit does not need an assistant. So if that is you, you need to keep your mouth shut. If there is anybody here struggling with sin and dabbling in all kinds of things that are wrong, your responsibility is going up to them and saying, hey, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. You don't have to live this way. Your identity is the Son of Abraham. You've been predestined for greatness as you speak identity over them. The Holy Spirit will do what He needs to do. You see, in the old covenant, you are corrected because you are wrong. In the new covenant, you're corrected because you're predestined. In the old covenant, you're corrected because you're wrong. You've made a mistake. But in the new covenant, let's go to Luke chapter, oh, you're right there. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Watch the next line and the first word. Jesus said, the reason I'm coming to this house because this man is a son of Abraham, he was predestined to be saved. I set my eyes on him way before he even existed. And today, I want you to know that God pursues you not because you are His project, and He is not here to correct you. And we don't come to church to be told what is wrong with us. And you—you you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and if being in this church, you have no right to say to anybody and say, "Hey, listen, I—I ha- I saw this about you. I don't think it's right. You do not have permission from me to do that." If you want to practice that, you can practice that in another church. What you have the right to practice is to go up to them and tell them what their identity in Jesus Christ is and what their finished work is. Today, salvation has come to the south. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. In the old covenant, the fear of consequences leads you to repentance. In the New Covenant, the Bible says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. In the Old Covenant, the fear of consequences leads us to repentance. In the New Covenant, the kindness of God leads us to repentance Nathan comes to David and says listen this is what you did the thing has really displeased God you're a fraud you killed somebody and guess what your baby is gonna die and David goes I am sorry I repent God I am so sorry I repent I turn my life around I shouldn't have done that I am so sorry and the new in the new covenant Jesus kills you with kindness He is the kindest person you will ever meet, and after he is kind, he is kind again and after he is gracious, he is gracious again. God in the New covenant is not a God who loves in spite of he's a God who loves because of Let me explain lots of people sitting here today think that Jesus loves you in spite of all that you've done, in spite of all the wrong that you've done, in spite of all the mistakes you've made. you see the problem with that kind of thinking is this you know oh I'm such a. A horrible person. I sinned. In fact, I just fell yesterday. But in spite of all my failures, Jesus loves me. You know what that makes you feel? It makes you feel very small because you know you're serving this God who's just loving you in spite of all your mistakes. But I don't believe that God loves me in spite of my mistakes. I believe God loves me because of my mistakes. You see, whenever I see my son, who is Ju- uh, Ju- his name is Judah, and I remember when he was two and when he was three, and sometimes when he's ill and he needs to go to the hospital, because of his brokenness because of his pain something in my heart is attracted to him even more because he is not whole and when I realize that where sin abounds grace abounds all the more that if there is somebody here who is one out of the 99 and you find yourself absolutely lost and astray God is not loving you in spite of he's loving you because of all of heaven's attention is turned towards you today if you find yourself in a place of sin if you find yourself in a place of brokenness if you find yourself in a place of hurt Jesus loves you because of it because of it not in spite of it and we live with such low confidence in our lives thinking oh in spite of everything I've done Jesus still loves me I'm just a worm but he loves me I'm a nobody he loves me it's not me, it's all the Lord. And all of these fake humility statements we give because you think Jesus loves you in spite of. But the new covenant loves because of, because of, because of, because of, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So today if you find yourself mentally, emotionally, relationally lost, guess whose attention is, is, this you, is towards you today? Jesus! That's the spirit of the new covenant. That's the spirit of better promises and that is why sometimes it's so difficult to get you to worship because you see worship really is not when it's your favorite song playing by your favorite worship leader when the volume is at your level worship is the response to what God has done for you and if you will not live in the reality of what Jesus has done for you you will wait for your song at your volume in your level so that you can worship God that is not worship that is religion but when you realize that the sun of man has set his attention towards you not in spite of you but in because of all that you're going through his attention has been concentrated towards you you cannot help but worship and give him praise for all he's done in the old covenant repentance is the fruit of your works in the new covenant repentance is the fruit of the spirit Who's producing the fruit in your life? Is it the spirit or is it you? I'll tell you which covenant you're operating in. Because all the fruit that you're meant to bear in your life, the responsibility lies with the spirit. And that's why it's called the fruit of the spirit. And the old covenant is the fruit of your works. It's the fruit of your works. And today, if you find yourself in a place to say, Oh, you know what? I can't seem to find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things that I'm supposed to have as a Christian. It really is not there in me. I just want to set you free and say, that is not your work. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of the Christian, the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is how the downward spiral works. I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I can't believe I just hated people this much. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I can't believe I don't have any patience. Look at the way I lost my temper. Oh God, show me what's wrong with me. Show me what's wrong with me. Oh yes, I'm really wrong. So let me, Lord, I surrender that to you. And then you go down the spiral because you are becoming more like what you're beholding. But if you will behold the revelation of who Jesus is, then love, joy, peace, patience, in the new covenant is all a fruit of the Spirit. I wonder who's responsible for the fruit in your life. I can't tell you the number of followers of Jesus Christ I've met frustrated that their lives are not bearing fruit. The reason is because you're trying to bear it. It's not your job. It's not your responsibility. It never was. In fact, God himself tried it for years. It didn't work. And that's why we needed a new covenant, a new day where all that you need is provided in Jesus Christ and everything you need for life and godliness comes through knowing Jesus. One of the things Nathan says as he goes, Prophet Nathan says as he goes to David's house and says, because you sinned, the sword will never leave your house. Do you read that? Because you sinned, the sword will never leave your house. In the new covenant, when I come to God as a sinner and say, God, I'm in the help, I need help, I'm a fraud, I'm in need of a savior. In the new covenant, salvation never leaves your house. Salvation never leaves your house. Salvation never leaves your house. A lot of you are trying to reach out to God and say, God, I, I, you know, you know what, what will really help me clean up my act? I want someone like Prophet Nathan to come to me and say, Hey, listen, you are a fraud, and the sword will never leave your house. Lord, Lord, even if you want to say that to me, please just say it so I can, I can clean up my life. He's not going to. Salvation has come to your house. Grace has come to your house. Peace has come to your house. An embrace has come to your house. A new identity has come to your house. And that will never leave your house because he has made up his mind about you. In the old covenant, David, king of the country, receives public dishonor for everything that he has done. In the new covenant, Zacchaeus is publicly honored. In the Jewish culture back in the day, one of the greatest acts of honor you could do was if an important person decides to come to your house and have a meal with you in your own home. In fact, this was such a ridiculous honor that all the people there were irritated and said, I can't believe Jesus is going to the house of a sinner to eat with him. This man can't be God. This man can't be God. I want to say to you, some of you today, uh, sitting here and wondering, will I be publicly ashamed? Will I be publicly humiliated? Will I have to go through public shame and sorrow for everything that is broken in my life? That is not the spirit of the new covenant. That is not the message we preach in this church. You can come just as you are, and God will honor you, protect you, cover you, and raise you up. And I'm prophesying over your life that you will go from one degree of glory to the next, not from one degree of shame to next. God doesn't have to use shame to twist your arm to help you to behave. His glory will do the work. And as His glory is revealed on your life, you will go from one degree of glory to the next. Public honor. And the old covenant behavior is because it is a responsibility. And the new covenant behavior is because it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Watch this. Did you see that in the old covenant story, David says, whoever stole this must pay back four times as much? But what happened in the new covenant when salvation came home? Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back four times as much on every case of fraud. And by the way, I'll just throw a bit extra. I'll give away half of my wealth to everybody who's poor. The new covenant achieved more what the old covenant did. And this is why lots of people have a, a, a question about oh, I need to tithe. I need to give my 10%. I need to give my 10%. Is that on gross or is that on net? Because all you want to know is God just tell me what is needed to scrape through. But that's not how the new covenant works. The new covenant is such a way that Zacchaeus says, Lord, here I give half my possessions to the poor. So 50% of my mouth is just for charity. with the rest of the 50% percent. If there's been any fraud, I'll pay back four times as much. And that's what young people do. And that's what people in relationships do. And say, oh, I know sex out of marriage is wrong. But what can I get away with so that it's not sin? And you're asking all these questions because you don't know what the new covenant is. When you understand the revelation of the new covenant, it's not that you want to live according to what God wants. You want to do exceedingly more than what He wants. You want to do exceedingly more than all the Im- all the rules and regulations because you realize that the love that you've been loved with is a lavish love. It's a freeing love. It's a generating love, a love that generates love from inside so you can love extravagantly. I wonder how you're living today. Whether you've been asking God, God, tell me what are the minimum requirements? Because I just want to pass the interview. I just want to qualify. I just want to make sure I know the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? You better know the Word of God because God's Word is powerful. Live by the Word of God. No, 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 no. We're not meant to live by rules and regulations. We are meant to live in a new covenant reality and Paul, and, and reality and promises where we know that we, if we're supposed to give ten percent, we will gladly give twenty. If we're supposed to walk a mile with one person we will walk gladly, walk two miles. If we're meant to give somebody our shoes, we'll gladly give a coat too. That is the reality of the new covenant. It's not the rules that you're meant to live by. It's a lover you're supposed to love because you realize how much they've loved you. And you live out of the abundance and the extravagance of that love. I wonder how you're living today. I wonder how you're giving today. I wonder how you're serving today. I wonder whether you're tithing today, whether you brought your offering to God today because you see, we don't need it. God doesn't need it. It's not something that you do because it's your responsibility. You tithe and you give above your tithe because it's a privilege. You understand that you have been in the receiving end of so much generosity. And even if you were to give it all away, it would be nothing compared to the love you've received. And so you live and you worship. And you gave with an overflowing heart. That's the life in the new covenant. That's the life in the new covenant. This one, next one's really important. The reason I want to say it's important is because it is important to the value and the culture of this church. In the old covenant... Your focus is on who sinned. David says, "Who is that man? That man deserves to die. He needs to pay back four times as more. In the New Covenant, Zacchaeus' focus is on, "Who can I help? Who can I help?" Oh, I get incredibly nervous around people who always talk about what's wrong with people, what's wrong with ministries, what's wrong with books, what's wrong with the next sermon they heard online, because there is something about the condemnation that they're living under that they're exposing themselves. And I wonder, where do you even have time to do that if you were living in your calling because when you begin to live in your calling and your purpose and the destiny God has for you you're looking for poor people everywhere like Zacchaeus was and says who can I help who can I give a hand up to who can I go and be kind to who can I invite to church who can I go and serve who is here has a need that I can go and meet who here is sick that needs a visit who here has a need that I need to pray for you don't have time to talk and think about who's doing the wrong things Even in the New Testament, Jesus didn't have problems with people who were committing adultery. They were his friends. Jesus didn't have problems with tax collectors. They were his friends. Jesus didn't have problems with all the frauds and the fakes in the world, all the people who had all of their theology mixed up. Jesus didn't have any of a problem with them. But you know what? He did have problems with religious people, with Pharisees, scribes, people who walk around and they're the religious and moral police of everybody in town. If you know such person, go to them and say, Hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, friend, I see you are living under condemnation because the moment you open your mouth, all you can talk about is why the preacher." on the tv was wrong why this new book released by this new pastor is wrong and why that sermon there wasn't right i why this person who is in leadership in church their life is not right there is something seriously wrong with your life i want you to stop living that way live under the freedom so that your focus is on who can you help not who is wrong i don't have time to talk about who's living what because God's blessed me so much and all I can do is use my time to say, hey, do you need a hand? Can I give you a hand? Is there anything I need to pray for you? Can I pray for you? What can I help you? Can you come to church? Will you invite a friend to church? Because if you can spend all your time trying to repay all of the generosity, you won't have time to play politics and talk about all that is happening and especially in the world of social media where you've got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter it's so easy to spend your time promoting everything and everybody that's wrong you are wasting your life and you are not changing the world one bit all it reveals is your own condemnation and your own old covenant thinking you're living under live with the excitement of who you can help, who you can be kind to, who you can walk up to and show them, hey, this is your identity. You don't, live, you don't have to live another day. Who can you befriend and ask for a coffee? So after you build a relationship, you can invite them to church on a Sunday. What are you doing with your life? Are you in the old covenant where you're just like David talking about everybody that's wrong? Or are you in the new covenant where you're like Zacchaeus and says, I can't wait, I can't wait to meet everybody because I just can't wait to help them. What covenant are you living under? You see, in the old covenant, the atmosphere around that person was death. Nathan says to David, your child will die. It was mourning. It was, it was death. And you know what I mean. There are certain people you spend time with. By the time you spend time with them, you are drained. You are just drained. You're like... What, what just happened? Before I started speaking to you, I was happy. Why? Because I promise you, the conversation is all about what's wrong. Instead of about what Jesus has done right. And that drains you. And that's why when your phone rings, you have one of two expressions. You're going, hey, look who's ringing. Oh, I'll take that later. Some of you are laughing because you know who they are, don't you? <laughs> I'll give you this example and I'll close. I want you to imagine this front row here. Each person here on my right represents a house in Jericho. One day there was a knock at the door on Dave Stevenson's house. Jeanette looks through the window and says, Dave, it's Zacchaeus again. Like, he came last week. Our tax was supposed to be 100. He defrauded us and he took 200. And he has the nerve to be back this week. Dave opens the door and says, Hello, mate. What can I do for you? oh you know that tax thing hey listen man look last week I already paid I paid the hundred that I was supposed to pay I gave you the hundred on top because you know you said you wanted it no 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 no. I've come back with a tax rebate Mm -hmm. you know I I took a hundred from you that I was not supposed to take here's a 400 quid check cash it in please what happened Salvation has come to my home. What do you think the mood in this house is going to be like today? And the next house? Uh, it's Zacchaeus again. Oh no. No, 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 no. Here's a check. Can you imagine the joy in that city that day? everybody that's ever gone through fraud <clears throat> receives a 400 of a four times the amount they lost through fraud cuz you see when salvation comes to your home even the people you've wronged will be praising god because of you When salvation has come to your home, even the people that hate you will have a reason to celebrate because of you. When salvation comes to your home in the New covenant, we don 't knock on people 's door and say, "Say, Dave, listen, I saw you at church that day you 're wearing black. you can 't wear black to church. You know it 's not how we do it. I see you're reading that book. We don't recommend that. I see you're watching TV, man. I'm not too sure about that. Well, that's not what we do. We knock on people's doors to give them life. We don't knock on people's doors to tell them what they need to change and fix. That's okay. That's the old covenant. It doesn't work in this church. How do you want to live? Do you want to be the number one reason for joy in this town? Well, it's possible. Do you want another person to pick up the phone and they see your name come up and say, Oh, I was was hoping they'd ring. Hello. Do you want your name to be the first name that pops up in somebody's mind when they're down and go, Oh, I'm feeling a little down. I'll tell you what, I'll call Dave. Because when I ring him, Everything that's on the inside is just bubbling out. And everything that's bubbling out is not sin and condemnation and what I need to fix and change. Everything that's bubbling out is life and joy and promotion and glory. So if I'm in a bad spot, I just know who to ring. How do you want to live? What covenant do you want to pick? Some of us are so Pharisaical that we look at prophetic words when people give them and God gives them a word and say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. Your best is yet to come. There's nothing in your past that is greater than your future. You're going to do great. And some Pharisees sit there and go, you know what? That's not really a prophet. What we need is someone like Nathan. Nathan who can come to Dave and say, Dave, I know what you've done. Pharisees. They killed Jesus. It was not sinners that killed him. Pharisees killed Jesus. And even today, if that's you in this church, you are killing this church. Stop. You don't have to live under that condemnation. I give you permission to walk away from that condemnation and live a life of freedom in the new covenant. Close your eyes with me. The reason I asked you to close your eyes is because it just gives you a moment to concentrate. You don't have to if you don't want to. But today, freedom is available in this house. God wants to remind you of your destiny, not remind you of everything that's wrong with you. God's best is yet to come. How do you want to live? And my desire for you is that you will live in the reality of the new covenant. The truth is, you can still access the old covenant and it will still work. You'll still go to heaven. But in you, you're dead and you carry with you an atmosphere of death. My desire is that you will be the number one reason why people celebrate. People will think of your name and go, I am so glad they're my friend. Because <laughs> when I meet them, I talk to them all my days. My life is so filled. How do you want to live? You may be here saying, oh, that sounds like me. I'm in the, in the old covenant That's that's me. What do I do well? There's ways you can apply this. One, you've got to believe it. You've got to believe that Jesus is coming to seek and save anybody that's in any mess. But I'm a Christian. How can I? How can I show people I'm in mess? And how can I? You know, I I, I had very little drama in my life, and then I joined the church, and there was lots of drama here. This is not what Christianity looks like. Well, that's like saying I went to a hospital, and all the hospital was full of sick people. Doesn't make sense. Jesus is here to take the wounded, the broken. The sinner, the atheist, the agnostic, whether you have faith, all faiths and none, you are here this morning and you do not have to believe to belong in the service. But Jesus sends you an invitation today to say, will you believe that over 2000 years ago, because God so loved the entire world, all of the brokenness, guilt, shame, sin, disease was laid on Jesus And he shed his blood as they nailed his hands. Shed his blood as they nailed his feet. Shed his blood as they put a crown of thorns and drove it through his skull. Tied him to a whipping post and whipped his back until blood gushed out. Pierced his side until blood came through his side. Pulled his beard until blood was shed from his face. He was beaten to pulp. The Bible says he did not even resemble a human being. And the price for your identity, your freedom, your honor, your prosperity, your healing is complete. Believe it this morning. The other way you can apply it is by confessing it. Because confession is something that you do with words and our words have power to create will you create your own future today come on, open your mouth if this message applies to you and say in Jesus name I will never be broke another day in my life I will never be wounded another day in my life I will never live with rejection another day in my life I will never live with self pity another day in my life God's glory and his salvation has come to my house and my life will be a distribution center of the goodness of God declare it create your own future you can sit there and meditate on it it's not going to work but you can declare it and create your future the third way you can do to seal this word is to by sowing a seed a financial seed because the bible says whenever we do that we bring within ourselves a harvest of righteousness we seal something by our thanksgiving and our worship and our worship sometimes is with our words but sometimes our worship is through our giving and I challenge you if this word was for you to do something that way you will give not because you're trying to show people that you're a giver but as a way of saying thank you to Jesus to know that he came to your life if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ today is an opportunity to give your life to him Jesus loves you and if you're here today and say, oh, that sounds like me. I need a savior. I haven't got it all together. I need help. Well, you are at the right place at the right time. We're all friends here and there's nothing to be afraid of. Or you may be here and said, well, I've made that decision a million, my, a million years ago and I don't know if that's where I am today. Well, today is a brand new day and you have a brand new opportunity to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, I'd love to just lead you in a prayer. Everyone here will follow and lead in that prayer with you so that you don't have to feel like you're doing it on your own. But it requires a response and for the moment of privacy and, 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 and just a moment of, of privacy to people who might want to do that. If that's you all over this place, just put your hand up and down. I'd love to pray for you. Anyone? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Say, I just want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, church family, you know. What we do, say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that it is finished. It's not my work, it's your work. It's not my fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I give you my life, come into my heart. Today I decide to live under the new covenant, new promises, new agreements, (laughs) a new future. New excitement, new joy. I confess that my best days are yet to come. Stand everywhere, let's worship Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. Rain, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Sing again. My hope is built, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. that you are our cornerstone. That you have completed everything that needs to be finished. That we refuse to live another day in poverty and we refuse to live another day in sickness because you have paid for it. We refuse to live another day in depression because you've paid for it. We refuse to live another day in guilt because you've paid for it. We refuse to live another day in shame because you've paid for it. And the blood of Jesus washes us from all sin makes us brand new. And if anyone is in Jesus, he is a brand new creation. Everything that is old is gone and everything is brand new. We embrace the new covenant. We embrace your new promises. We embrace your future. We embrace your love. We embrace your identity. We embrace salvation. We embrace joy. Our best days are ahead of us and not behind us. We will refuse to live in shame. Anybody we have wronged Will celebrate because of us you are the source of our joy and we want to thank you we want to thank you that of all the people in the world you came to seek me me you came to seek me you decided you made a decision to come to my house my heart my family Woo! we will never be the same again never be the same again we'll never be the same again we'll never be the same again we will never be the same again because you've paid it all you've paid it all father we pray for our church we pray that this place will be a place for all frauds to come not to remain frauds but to embrace your love and to embrace your salvation And then to become a distribution center of your joy and abundance to the entire city. We dare to believe that that's the church that we're going to build. The day of religion is over. The day of policing people are over. I have no time to look on whether you're living your life according to the rules and regulations I have set for you. I've got way too much work to do to help people. Father, bless our church. Every person here that's on, going through a financial need, I pray for supernatural provision, breakthrough. I pray for promotions. I pray for favorable relationships. I pray for people's hearts to be turned. Any person here who's sick in their bodies, I pray in Jesus' name that their sickness will be healed. Any person living with depression and anxiety, I command and impose the joy of God in their hearts. And we pray that this coming week, Lord, we will live with the excitement of knowing that our best is ahead of us and not behind us, that you love us unconditionally, and that joy is in this house, in Jesus' name. Do you believe it? Come on, raise a shout of praise to Jesus today. Hallelujah, raise a shout. He's there.